I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Lloyd Evans is the founder of JWSurvey.org, a website that focuses on the problems with Jehovah's Witnesses. For most of his life, Lloyd was a witness, but that changed not too long ago. Now he's trying to help others leave the faith. I've learned so much about the seedy underbelly of the religion by reading his work. He's in Croatia right now, and he woke up early for this, so thank you, Lloyd. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So... Uh, give us a little background about you. Tell about tell us about your childhood, growing up in the Jehovah's Witness Church. How devout were you? Oh, I was extremely devout. Um, I believed every single word of it. I uh, was raised um, in the obviously in the UK, uh, in Northern England, not far from Manchester. And um, both of my pet, well, my father had been raised a witness um, from childhood. My mother had been kind of brought into the organisation uh, through a series of uh, tragedies. Really, her her previous husband had died uh, tragically in a fire, and after she, when she became a widow, uh, she was basically love bombed by her Jehovah's Witness friends. And this led to her becoming a witness herself, despite some negative experiences in the past with the witnesses. And so both, both of my parents you know, took the religion very seriously. They raised me too as well. I can remember various experiences as a child. A funny one was um, I came home and we were having, uh, having, having our meal. And my mum and dad said, so what did you learn at school today, Lloyd? And I said, oh, well... It was very interesting. We learned about how fish crawled out of the sea and became dinosaurs. Uh-oh. And these <laughs> these dinosaurs became mammals and so forth. And there was just this look of absolute horror <laughs> on my parents' faces. And they, they basically went to the school and uh, complained to my teacher and protested with her uh, and let her know that she wasn't to teach me evolution. So... There were all sorts of, of wacky stories like that, which I'm trying to talk about in my book. I'm, I'm writing my, my book at the moment. Um, but no, I took the religion extremely seriously as a child. So um, I'm curious. So the UK in general has the reputation of being a little bit less religious than, say, the US. Um, how do you think that affects the way, I guess, um, people like the Jehovah's Witnesses are treated or how they, um, how they interact with society? Yeah, well, in the UK, I, I mean, I have been to America a few times, and the feeling I get is that um, Americans uh, are far more are far more open about about you know their emotions and about you know things like religion than, than Brits are. Brits tend to kind of have a bit of a stiff upper lip, a stiff upper lip when it comes to faith, and it's kind of something you're not supposed to really talk about in public. <laughs> um, so, so it, the the whole kind of idea of, of evangelizing from door to door is is quite alien, I think, to most most Brits. Um, it, it's not the sort of thing that you kind of discuss really in public, but it's something that you know, as a witness, you get on with doing anyway. Um, and yeah, um, I, I think that there's lots of uh, 
about elements of religious discourse that are, are, are much different in in the UK than they are in America. Um, and that's one of the reasons, in, in a way, that I think witnesses have managed to stay under the radar very much um, uh, in the UK as regards the harmful elements of the religion, because there's just this idea of, oh, well, that's religion, we don't discuss that, we don't want to talk about that, you know, that's everyone's personal right to believe what they want. But then when you take that approach, you end up overlooking some of the really harmful negative aspects. So speaking of which, in the U.S., I guess if you ask most people what Jehovah's Witnesses are about, they're going to tell you something about, oh, they knock on your door to talk to Mm -hmm. you. But that's, honestly, that's really the worst of what I tend to hear. Like, they don't really have as bad of a rap as other religions. But the truth is, a lot of their teachings are really damaging, are really harmful. Do you think that's just ignorance on like the part of a lot of Americans or 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 do we not care or what is it? Well, growing up, I always just knew Jehovah's Witnesses is the people who didn't celebrate things because we had one Jehovah's Witness in our school and they're like, yeah, they don't celebrate birthday birthdays, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think it's it's mostly, you know, ignorance and, and lack of knowledge about what witnesses teach. I think there's an element of what I've, what I've just said as well about people thinking, well, you know, what people believe is, is their own right. But I think that, you know, things are changing a little bit at the moment. Um, I think people are gradually becoming more aware of the fact that there is such thing as a cult um, and that cults can be very dangerous. I think that the recent exposure of Scientology, uh, the documentaries like Going Clear have really helped in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally think that um, all religions are cults to varying decree, degrees. So, you know, if a religion teaches things that are not true, then it's doing something that's harmful, especially with children. It's setting them off to an extremely bad start in life. But, but just teaching things that are not true, though bad, is not ne- nearly as bad as the other things that cults can do. I mean, on the extreme end of the scale, you've got uh, ISIS and, you know, people actually die- dying as a result of this uh, uh, cult through acts of extreme aggression. But I think somewhere along that scale, you also have cults like Scientology, uh, cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, who may who may not um, have, like, a huge press exposure when people are made miserable or do die as a result of their teachings, but that is happening nonetheless. I mean, take, for example, blood transfusions. Hemant, um, you have very kindly covered the case of the a young girl who died recently, mm. um, and basically she left her her young uh, her young girl um, without a mother as a result of refusing very important treatment with blood that she needed. And just so we're clear birth. on this, the the teaching in Jehovah's Witness is even in the case of your life, if you need a blood transfusion, you are not allowed to have it. And what we're talking yeah, about yeah. here is a mother whose daughter needed blood Mm. and the mother basically said don't give her a blood transfusion Mm. and the daughter died as a result what's the reason what's the basis for that why do jehovah's witness say no blood no transfusions well they say no blood because um the bible uh in the jewish the jewish kind of torah it basically says that it's wrong to eat blood and this command against eating blood got carried over into the New Testament through the writings of St. Paul, who said you should, you should abstain from blood. 
And around 1945, the witnesses decided, hey, when it says abstain from blood, that clearly means that we're not allowed to have blood transfusions. And already, you know, the most devout Jews had realized that there's no way that the Bible commands against blood could be applied to using blood as a medical treatment. There's a big, big difference. Like that wasn't even an option then. Right. So, yeah, they weren't prohibiting It wasn't even a proposal on the table of other religions. You know, they've, they've grasped the fact that there's a big difference between ingesting blood into your digestive system and actually transfusing it into your bloodstream for medical reasons. So other religions had cottoned on to this, but I think I, my personal view is that the witnesses that around 1945 were kind of scrambling to look for things that would make them more different from other religions, and this was one of the things that they could do. But Let's find a different way to, make, to kill people off. That's yeah. what we'll do. Exactly. But the point I was trying to make previously is that when people die as a result of refusing blood because watchtowers told them to, you, you don't get it plastered across the news in the same way as you hear of the deaths of people from, you know, suicide bombers or ISIS beheadings or that kind of thing. There, there are still deaths going on in the name of a cult, but because they're not as graphic or as clear-cut uh, and as, as, as you know, manifestly the result of bad ideas, they don't get talked about as much. Yeah, and we've heard recently, I mean, in the past couple of years, we've heard more stories about Christian science believers sure. who say, I'm not taking my sick kid to a doctor, a doctor because I don't believe a doctor will fix it. I think if I pray, God will fix it. And mm-hmm. then those kids die. In a, It's mm-hmm. kind of horrible and like cruel to say this, but it almost took the deaths of those children oh, to bring this issue to light so people can speak out against it, pass laws, making sure the parents are punished for it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we've reached that tipping point for Jehovah's Witnesses with the blood transfusion thing. Can we pass some laws that like, say, look, if a parent allows the their kid to, to die, yeah. yeah, then those parents deserve to go to jail. They should be going to yeah. jail. I don't know if that happens or doesn't happen or if it's a case by case thing. I think it's one of many areas in which uh, both US and UK and lots of other countries need to kind of catch up with their lawmaking uh, because, you know, everyone kind of gets the fact that, you know, if if you're an adult and any kind of medical treatment is offered to you, it is your right as the patient to decide whether you take that medical treatment or not. Everyone understands that. Mm-hmm. But it is still something of a grey area as to how much of an influence parents can have over the treatment their children receive or don't receive. And I, I think, fortunately... On a case-by-case basis, you do have, country, you know, developed countries who are realising what this, what's going on here and are intervening on the child's behalf. But I think it's, it's definitely an area that we can improve on with lawmaking. And, you know, a similar situation is obviously with child abuse. Um, it's almost as though, you know, the, law, the lawmakers are trying to kind of catch up with, um, you know, making laws that completely... Uh, protect children against organizations that are more interested in hiding pedophiles and child molesters than protecting the children. And this is fascinating because this is not a Catholic Church-only sort of problem. This sort of child abuse thing is happening within the Jehovah's Witness Church. Mm. Yeah, and someone asked me recently, um, do you think that the, the problem is proportionally worse within the Witnesses? So in other words... If the number of Jehovah's Witnesses were miraculously the same as the number of Catholics, Mm. 
um, would the would the problem with child abuse be worse in Jehovah's Witnesses than in Catholics? And I said, well, personally, I think so. I think it would be. And the reason I say that is because usually when you hear about these um, sex abuse scandals within the Catholic Church, it's usually priests who in, who are involved, and it's it's the diocese that kind of moves these priests around. Uh, to another place rather than kind of um, alerts the authorities, you know, so to speak. But with Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not just the priests or, you know, our version of priests is elders. It's not just the elders who are involved. It's the ordinary Jehovah's Witnesses themselves, the ones who go, you know, knocking on the doors, the ones who go to the meetings. It, it's those, it's they that, are, that, that pose the risk in terms of pedophiles who are molesting children behind parents' backs, um, but the way the organization is set up is that there's kind of like, there's this uh, attitude of, well, you're not allowed to take your brother to court. The minute you start legal proceedings against your brother, you're, you're, you're committing some kind of sin. So everything needs to get dealt with through the organization rather than through the authorities. And that's when things start to go wrong. Yeah, they have their own sort of legal code. Yeah. And I wonder if that just goes under the radar because there's relatively few of right. them. So we don't always hear about this. Mm-hmm. So while we're on the subject of, you know, Jehovah's Witness beliefs that can harm people, uh, there's another one that doesn't kill people, but it's it's just a horrible one, and it's called disfellowshipping. Uh, tell mm. us what that's all about. Well, uh, you know, this is this is kind of the one that's kind of closest to my heart. Um, you know, ask any ask any former Jehovah's Witness what is the most painful element of being a former Jehovah's Witness, and I think most of them would say that it's the shunning. And I actually think that if you if you manage to kind of get rid of the shunning element, then, you know, most beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses would be more tolerable simply by virtue of the fact that you would be allowed to vote with your feet if you were a Jehovah's Witness and say, enough of this nonsense, thank you very much, I'd rather leave. Mm-hmm. Um, this, for me, is a, is a human rights issue because according to Article 18 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, you're not just allowed to have a religion, you're also allowed to leave a religion. And this is uh, an element of human rights that the Watchtower Society basically robs Jehovah's Witnesses of. So in other words, it says once you get baptized as a witness, even if you get baptized when you're a child, and bear in mind I got baptized when I was 11, you're basically a Jehovah's Witness for life. And we are not going to let you leave, even if you just just decide it's no longer for you, without visiting punishment on you through your family. So we will coerce all of your family members who are still Jehovah's Witnesses to shun you if you ever decide that Jehovah's Witnesses isn't for you anymore. So if you stop being a Jehovah's Witness, your family may never speak to you again. People in the church, they won't have any contact with you, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, my father, I mean, I live in Croatia. My father uh, and sister are living in the UK. Sorry, yeah, they're living in the UK. And neither of them are speaking to me. Um, my little daughter, Jessica, I made a video about her. Uh, she is now 11 months old and her granddad still hasn't seen her. Um, and neither has her auntie or her cousins because both her parents are, called, are are deemed apostates, are to be shunned, 
and um, there are you know laws passed. I think I, I mentioned this to you, Hamant, that if you are if you associate with a disfellowshipped person, that in turn makes you liable for disfellowshipping. Um, if you're a family member, it's slightly different. You, you're, you're treated as you, you can basically get away with associating with a disfellowshipped family member that in, in that there is no actual punishment, um, specific punishment, but it's still heavily, heavily stigmatized both in the public, both in the publications and from the platform. Um, and there's a lot of kind of emotional blackmail and people saying, well, and, and speakers saying, well, if you do associate even with family members who've decided to leave and you're being disloyal, you need to be loyal to Jehovah and uh, remember to shun them. It's weird. The only other place I have heard apostates treated like that, where you're just not supposed to have any contact with them, is with Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, no. Scientology, yeah. it's Fra- the same yeah, yeah. Thing. Scientology I mean, as it's well. textbook cult behavior, right? If you leave the church or whatever, you are no longer allowed to associate with anybody. Mm. Well, one thing I encourage um, witnesses to do, because a question I'm often asked by former witnesses is, how do I get through to indoctrinated witness family members, how do I convince them that they're in a cult when they have been conditioned not to look at any material that's critical of the organization? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, watch the Louis Theroux documentaries on the Westboro Baptist Church, the, the BBC uh, documentaries. Watch those with your indoctrinated witness relatives because the beauty of those documentaries is that they don't mention witnesses once, mm. but all of the behavior, all of the, all of the kind of black and white, us versus them, we're, we're right, uh, the rest of the world is damned. That is all there in the Westboro Baptist Church, and it's basically just a slight deviation from the way witnesses do it. Interesting. So uh, describe your, I mean, you said you grew up and believed every word of what you were taught, and now you're clearly not part of that world anymore. Can you describe what caused you to leave and what the process was like? Well, I, I moved to uh, Croatia to come and live here. Uh, my, my wife comes from Croatia originally, and we had an opportunity to kind of make a fresh start over here. And so when I moved to Croatia, I started attending the local congregation. And obviously all of the meetings were in Croatian. And although I knew one or two words, I basically didn't understand a word of what was being said. And it was literally as though someone had unplugged the indoctrination. So because I could, because I was no longer receiving indoctrination on a weekly basis, you know, this is what you believe, this is what you believe, I started to kind of, you know, unhook myself from it and think, hang on, what do I actually believe? So I was literally sat in the meetings with just, it's just as you know, the, the teacher and Charlie Brown, wah, 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 you know, going on in my ears. I'm thinking, hang on, what do I actually, actually believe? And I remembered from when I was around 20, I, I had all sorts of doubts and these started to resurface. And I only really put those doubts to one side because my mother died when I was 21 uh, from cancer. And the approach that witnesses take to that kind of tragedy is to say, well, your mother isn't, isn't quite dead. She's still alive in Jehovah's memory. And the way for you to see her again is to be a loyal witness. So I'd suppressed all of those doubts. And then when I moved to Croatia, they, they all came flooding back. And it took, it took me about a year. But after a year, I was more or less fully awake. 
and uh, you know able to start doing research online and, and you know using some of the fantastic resources that are available for waking up witnesses. Ironic because the Watchtower Society's like main publication is called Awake, and it's kind of <laughs> yeah. the opposite of what they want. Funny. <laughs> yeah, but well, that's definitely the word I use, awakening, because it is like when, when you wake up from cult indoctrination. It really is like waking up from a strange dream, and but the only, but the only thing is, obviously, is that the dream has lasted years, if not decades, depending on how long you've been inside. Uh, but you do literally snap out of it and think, what on earth was I thinking? How could I be stupid enough to believe all this? Especially when you start to really do research into some of the crazy things Watchtower has done and taught over the years. And so how did you start your website? Oh, well, I, I just decided, I, I thought, well, this is such an, a fascinating experience for me to, you know, learn about all these, you know, different scandals and things that are affecting the organization. Surely there are there are loads of people that are also in my situation. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could have some kind of survey to find out what the consensus is, uh, both among former Jehovah's Witnesses and even among, you know, witnesses who are still inside who might who might perhaps have doubts, even though for various reasons, including, you know, blackmail and shunning, they, they feel they still need to be witnesses. I thought, you know, we should really set up some kind of survey, you know, to find out what the consensus is among these people, ask questions so that people can kind of have some kind of voice and, and vote on, on, on different issues. And I started talking about it on one of the forums and completely out of nowhere, uh, this guy called John Hoyle, who has since become a good friend, he basically contacted me completely out of the blue and said, I'll build your website and we'll, we'll make this survey. So uh, he built me jwsurvey.org and it's just gone on from there. What sort of emails do you get from people who are probably transitioning out of Jehovah's Witnesses or who are questioning it? I'm sure the, the letters you get are fascinating and heartbreaking. They are fascinating. They are fascinating, and, and one of the one of the really terrible parts of my job is that there are so many of them that I really, really do struggle to kind of keep up with all of them. You know, if I responded to each and every message and each and every email I got, um, I, I don't know whether I would have the time to do the activism I'm doing. But just to give you one example, uh, on the JW Survey Facebook page. We had a me- I had a message the other day from someone who said, you know, I'm a 23-year-old uh, Jehovah's Witness pioneer. Pioneer meaning that he does 70 hours of preaching per month. And he said, um, I've just spent an entire day watching your videos and decided that I need to walk away from this organization. And I just want to thank you for helping me come to this realization. And I, um, I was so touched by a story that I posted about it on my Facebook page. And uh, within, within a couple of days, another one of my Facebook friends said, when I read this experience on John Cedar's uh, Facebook page, John Cedar's being the name I, I used to um, write under, um, I thought I, I was feeling terrible because this sounded just like my son and I was thinking I wish my son could do something similar and and then I realized it was my son <laughs> so it was oh. so touching because basically a mother and a son ended up being reunited and recently she went to go and spend the weekend with him and oh my God. Uh, so it was a really really touching experience and, and those kind of experiences make the 
with one. So is is all of the Jehovah's Witness Church, is it all equally kind of conservative and insular, or are there certain sects that tend to be more so than others? They tend to be more what than others, sorry. Sort of insular and conservative and... Are they all like this? Yeah. Are there yeah, some yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses that are way more liberal about stuff, or is this just a one package for oh, everyone? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there is such thing as a really, really strict Jehovah's Witness. But um, in terms of of how you're how you're supposed to be a Jehovah's Witness, there is only one way of being a Jehovah's Witness to the satisfaction of Jehovah's Witnesses, and that's to do things the governing body's way. Uh, the governing body are seven men who uh, kind of live a very cloistered life in world headquarters in New York. Explain this um, to me. This is something I don't think a lot of people know about Jehovah's Witnesses. If you were to ask, you know, who's the head of the Catholic Church? You could say the Pope. If I say who's the head of the Protestant one, well, that's not really a fair question because it depends on the denomination and how it's run. But the Jehovah's Witnesses are run by these seven dudes. Tell us Mm. about them. What do we know about them? Because I guarantee you no one knows any of their names unless you're part of the church. And even then, who knows? (laughs) Yeah, I I never really knew the the names of the governing body until I was no longer a witness. And then I became fascinated with who they are. Uh, (laughs) Ironically. But no, um, the way it used to be back in the sort of uh, early days of the organization and right through to the 40s, 50s, 60s was that there used to be a president of the Watchtower Society. And it was the president of the Watchtower Society who made all of the decisions basically on on beliefs and policies and how things should be run. But around... Um, uh, the late 60s, early 70s, a change was made so that rather than being one president, there would be a group of presidents, basically, who would be called the governing body, and they would make decisions collectively. And um, uh, it's amazing. One of the fascinating issues when you're when you're dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses and researching them is, is the kind of revisionist history. Yeah. So when they, whenever the governing body talks about themselves in the modern witness literature, they make it sound as though the governing body has always been there throughout throughout witness history. When when you, if you know anything about witness history, you know that's not the case. And they also say they basically liken themselves with the with the apostles of Jesus Christ. So it's almost as though um, the, the Jesus apostles died, and then there was a big big gap through world history, and then the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses pops up again. So that's kind of the way they they have witnesses think of it. How do I become one of these? (laughs) If I want to be a governing body member, what do I have to do? I'll vote for you. Yeah, do I just have to campaign for it? You have to be a witness for a very, very long time, have some extremely high-ranking positions in the organization for a number of years, and you also have to have convinced yourself that you're one of the 144,000 people throughout the world's history that are going to be going to heaven. So witnesses have have a two-tier version of Christianity where you're either going to heaven, you're either one of this 144,000 who are going to go to heaven, or more likely you're one of the um, people who are going to live on a transformed paradise earth after Armageddon. So it's not as good as being in heaven, but it's like, all right, I'll deal with this. This is, a, I mean, this is something I've always heard about Jehovah's Witnesses from people who don't really know about it, which is the if you're supposed to be one of the 144,000 who have this 
I guess, the higher tier uh. paradise of sorts. Why the hell would you recruit other people to be part of the church? Because aren't you kind of making it harder for you to get into heaven mm-hmm. in that way? Play the numbers, guys. Right. Yeah, I think I think that was a dilemma that, that the witnesses reached fairly early on because obviously when they started off from very small beginnings. 144,000 sounds like a pretty good number. <laughs> like, you're going to be all right. <laughs> When you have a tiny organization with just a few hundred individuals, it's easy to say, oh, well, we're all part of the 144,000. But I think as the organization grew, particularly getting into the 20s and 30s and 40s, when they were starting to get into the you know, thousands and thousands, it became obvious that they needed a slightly more advanced you know, form of enticing people. So they said, well, you know, some of us are going to heaven, probably the majority are going to end up living on Earth. But the amazing um, thing about this kind of utopia of paradise earth is is actually a dystopia in my view because uh, what's supposed to happen is that armageddon will come and everybody who isn't a jehovah's witness will die well there are eight million jehovah's witnesses and there are over seven billion people living on the planet so whichever way you know you cut the cake there's going to be billions of people dying when armageddon comes and uh, according to uh, the, the governing body members, these bodies of billions of people will be um, pecked away by birds and the remains will kind of be buried. So what you have is a, is a paradise that's built on the hidden remains of billions of slaughtered people, which I don't personally consider <laughs> to be a paradise. <laughs> My God. Do you do a lot, do all the Jehovah's Witnesses? I would think young people who are being raised in this cult, um, they hear this stuff and they're like, "Come on, that, I'm not believing any of that." Or are they just like, "Yep, that's what's going to happen because they're anything. stupid and they're indoctrinated"? And <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. Is there a push? Because again, your site's out there. There's Google. Are, are younger Jehovah's Witnesses? more likely now to leave because so much of this stuff is being exposed. Yeah, well, well, Google is definitely changing things. Uh, the the internet has really been a game changer, as, as even in the short time that I've been doing activism. But I think what a lot of people and probably a lot of your listeners might tend to forget sometimes, judging by some of the comments I've seen on you know friendly atheists and <laughs> that kind of thing, is <laughs> is people people forget that there is such thing as uh, mind control. I, I think as humans, we don't like to think that it's possible for humans to be programmed, to be, to become like robots. To be we, we like to think that as, as a species, we're clever enough to know when we're being conned and being duped. But the simple fact is that it is possible to control someone and make them believe the craziest things simply by... Um, cutting off their, you know, their flow of information and introducing an emotional element, saying things like, well, if you want to see your mother or your dead mother or your dead father again, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to believe. And what you have is, um, you know, years and years, in, in my case, years and years of indoctrination, not being, you know, given both sides of the story, having emotional, you know, manipulation. And then by the end of it, what you have is cognitive dissonance. So, so when you do hear, um, you know, conflicting things and child abuse scandals and when your mind does kind of race through the logical inconsistencies, your brain is capable of making two completely opposing propositions both coincide together uh, simply by kind of 
basically putting it to the back of your mind and you know creating some kind of flux through which everything is bearable and this is cognitive dissonance and i think most jehovah's witnesses have it most jehovah's witnesses in my view have very deep-seated doubts about what they're learning but they just kind of brush it all to one side is this a church that is growing or fading away you said there's like eight million worldwide I believe it's stagnating because the growth figures at the moment are between 2 and 3% growth per year. Now, when you consider that the, you know, the global population just through the process of births and deaths mm. is growing by about 1.1% per year, I think is, is the latest figure, then, then 2% isn't really anything to shout about. All it means is that you're you're doing well at procreating and, and indoctrinating your children into your beliefs. But that's not really something to shout about. So I personally believe the organization is stagnating, and I think the Internet is largely responsible for that. Well, that's great. So, uh, Lloyd, thank you for joining us. So we can find your website at jwsurvey.org. And um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, especially yeah. at such a late slash early <laughs> hour for you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll post links to your site. And uh, yeah, thanks for informing us and teaching us about, about the faith. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.